You're listening to another message from Generation City Church. Why don't you take your seat? I'd like to echo this morning what Margot said about, uh, you know, the parents that are bringing their kids to church when City Kids is not on. Uh, we do take our hat off to you. Uh, to be honest, I think the kids have been very well behaved uh, over the January period. Um, and, you know, I, I particularly take my hat off to this young couple down here, Phil and Lee um, Very good job. Especially sitting on the front row with my two little heroes, Hayden and Jake. How you doing, Hayden? Good. Jake, you got a high five for me? Can you give me a high five? Good boy. Yeah. What about you, Jake? Can you give me a high five, Jake? Good lad. No, and, and I agree with Mark. Oh, he's fallen over. I, uh, I do agree with Margot that uh, you have your kids in church in an atmosphere like this. Something is imparted, even though you might not think so. I have heard parents say over the years, oh, it's just too hard. I don't get anything out of church when i got my kids. Bring your kids for their sake. Just, just for their sake. And it, it makes all the difference, you know. I hope I didn't create that problem then. <laughs> But uh, I did speak to Ben. Ben, you're here somewhere, I know. Where are you, Ben? Ben Tinson. He's here. He had to go, did he? Okay, yeah, all right, I understand. Uh, I was talking to Ben downstairs earlier this morning. They are going to relaunch City Kids on the 31st. So not next Sunday, but the one after, which is the day we have Danny Goog. So uh, you can be assured that you can be settled, focused on Danny Goog's ministry uh, with your kids downstairs in City Kids. So uh, just be aware of that. Uh, I want you to come with me in your Bible this morning to James chapter 4. And I want to read to you two verses out of James chapter 4. And, uh, and then just pull that apart a little bit in the hope that it will give you something that will prepare you for our 10-day fast, which starts tomorrow. But in James chapter 4, we read, Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Let me read that to you again. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. James doesn't say, and I hope when you've done that, the devil flees. He says, if you submit to God and you resist the devil, he will flee from you. Then he goes on and says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Prayer. The, the activity of prayer, the practice of prayer, and, and prayer accompanied by fasting in particular, is the central activity of spiritual warfare. If you want to engage the enemy of your soul and overcome the challenges and the storms and the obstacles that he brings across your path in life, and, and I don't have to convince you that storms will come. Most of you sitting here today know particularly as a Christian, that often becoming a Christian, um, it, it, it enlarges the possibility of storms coming across your path because you now have an enemy that is opposing what you have actually decided to become. But prayer, particularly prayer accompanied by fasting, is the central activity of spiritual warfare. If prayer is the central activity then I want to tell you this, that, that 
the central attitude of prayer and spiritual warfare is faith and obedience. So prayer is the activity. The attitude is faith and obedience. When you engage in the activity of prayer and you hold the attitude of faith and obedience, you position yourself to be one of the greatest overcomers in the kingdom of heaven. James tells us in these two verses to submit to God before we begin engaging the enemy. Submit to God before we start resisting and fighting the principalities and the powers that are resisting and opposing and are pushing us back from embracing and laying hold of the call of God upon our life and the purposes of God upon our life. James very clearly says the first thing before you engage the enemy is, is make sure that your heart and your mind and your, your entire being is in a posture of submission to God. Before you start fighting, before you start engaging, make sure your heart is in that place of absolute surrender. If we don't fight the fight of faith from a posture of complete submission to Jesus and out of an intimate relationship with Jesus, we will find ourselves in a very similar position to the seven sons of Sceva that we spoke about last Sunday morning in Acts chapter 19. We will find ourselves beaten backwards. If we don't engage the enemy from that posture of surrender and submission, unreserved submission to the will and the purposes of God, where Jesus is our final authority, where Jesus is our absolute authority, where Jesus is the one, whatever he says, if he says jump, I say how high. When we're in that position, we're in a place where we will become the overcomers the Bible calls us to be. You know, submission to Jesus is to be surrendered totally to his will and his ways. The word sub in the word submission means to be under. So a, a submarine is under the water. Marine is water. We, we all understand that. Marine life, the marines, they, they, you know, submarine is a vessel that goes under the water. Subordinate is someone who is under an authority of a higher rank. So when you talk in military terms of a subordinate, they are under a higher ranking officer. So sub means to be under. So to be in submission to God means to be under his mission, submission, under the mission of heaven. So when James says submit to God, it means bring yourself under the authority and the command of the captain of the armies of heaven, Jesus Christ. When we are submitted to God, we're surrendered to his rule, we're surrendered to his lordship, we're surrendered to his word, his command, if you like, and we are drawn into a closer relationship with him. And it's only out of such an intimate relationship with Jesus, our commander, that we can ever hope to win the battles that life and the enemy throw at us. 
I can't put it any simpler. So to some people, that's not good news. To some people, they want to have Jesus in their life. They want to have the protection of Jesus and the blessing of Jesus and the direction of Jesus into the good things that the Bible promises. We, we want that. But we can't have that without the submission. We have to come under his command if we ever hope to overcome the issues, the challenges, the storms, the setbacks, the disappointments, the problems that we will encounter. You know, remember Jesus said to his disciples, in this world you will have trouble. He didn't say you might have trouble. He didn't say, look, I'll be praying for you. I hope you don't, but it could happen. He said, no, just be prepared that in this world, you will have trouble. That's why I said last Sunday, if you're looking for religion to comfort you, don't pick Christianity. Because Christians are called to fight. It's a fight of faith. Christians are called to resist. Christians are called to obtain, to break through, to hold back, to take ground. And, and Jesus said, you will have trouble in this journey. You will face challenges. But then he went on and said, but take courage because I have overcome the world. And, and if you will be submitted to me, the one who has overcome the world, then you are with the winner. You're with the, the one that will lead you into a lifestyle of, of overcoming. You know, in 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, we read some very interesting things. Now, by this, John says, we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. I think if we keep his commandments could be said if we are under his lordship, if we are submitted to him. When we're submitted, we do as we're told. When we're truly submitted, we follow his word, we follow his lead, we follow his command. And John says, by this we know that we know him. A lot of people say, yeah, I know the Lord. But do they really know the Lord? Well, here's the, the benchmark, here's the testing ground. John says, by this you will know whether or not you know the Lord, if you keep his commandments. And, and you know, if we are authentic followers of Jesus, not just Christian churchgoers, I was listening to somebody on a podcast this week was talking about the term Christian is not very popular in the world today. If you go into a country that you want to evangelize or you want to reach out into, um, if you say, oh, we're here as Christians, they generally will resist you. But if you say, I'm here as a Christ follower, they will embrace you. Because for some reason, because of the behavior of the church, because of the behavior of Christians... The term Christian has been so separated from the term Christ follower. They should be one and the same. But in the eyes of the world, they are not the same. When people think of Christians, they think negative. But when they think, Christ, oh, you follow Christ, well, I'd be open to you because I do like the teachings of Christ, but I'm not real fussed on the Christian concept. Because, you know, we look at Islam today and we see some of the horrendous things that are done in the name of Islam today, you've only got to study history to see the horrendous things that have been done under the Christian banner as well. You know, so, so you know, when he says by this, you know that you know him, if you keep his commandments, it means that you become an authentic follower of Christ, surrendered completely to his will. Then it goes on and says a very heavy thing. He who says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. 
You know, I've come across a lot of people in my time in ministry, almost 30 years now in ministry, and, and I've come across a lot of people who say, that, oh, yeah, I know the Lord, but their behavior is so contrary to the Lord they claim to know. I don't want my life to be like that. I'm 55 years of age now, and I think I don't know how much longer I have on this planet, 20, 30 years. Who, who knows what it might be? I don't know how much longer I have in ministry. Uh, you know, it's, it's like, and I'm not being negative. I'm not being doubtful. God willing, I'll be at the helm as long as he ordains for me to be at the helm and doing what I'm doing. But I want my life to be authentic. I want to know him. I, I don't want to be a clergyman. I want to be a Christ follower. And I want to be a Christ follower before I'm a man of God, before I'm a minister, before I'm a, a pastor. But by this, we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Now, here's a powerful promise to you. Daniel 11, verse 32, chapter 11, verse 32. I don't think this one's on the screen. I didn't give this one to Beck. But Daniel 11, verse 32, Daniel says, They that know their God, they that know their God, shall be what? Strong and do great exploits. When the trials come, when the storms come, when the wind blows against you, you know, too often we buckle at the knees. But if we know our God, we will resist the storm. We will fight the foe. We will push through and become the overcomers in the situation, not the defeated in the situation. But the key is we've got to know God. And if we know him and we're in that intimate relationship with him, we will be strong. And not only will we be strong when it comes to resisting the enemy, when it comes to resisting temptation, when it comes to resisting the oppression that often comes against those that are pushing into the purposes of God, we will then go on from that position of strength and do great exploits. So not only will you be strong, but you, you won't just be strong standing there resisting and resisting. There was an old hymn years ago, hold the fort till Jesus comes. We're not called to hold the fort till Jesus comes. We're called to take ground. We're called to get out of the fort and fight the foe and obtain that which God gave us and promised us. So, so let's not just be strong holding the fort. Let's actually be strong and go out and do great exploits. What are those exploits? Well, there's a whole range of things that we could be engaging in, in the community, breaking the bonds off people that are bound, healing the sick, leading people to a, a knowledge of Christ that will change their life totally forever. But they who know their God will be strong and do great exploits. These verses in James verses 4 and 7 to 8 give us some very insightful truths that if faithfully followed, and I emphasize those words, if they are faithfully followed, will position us for such exploits. Before we dig a little deeper into those verses, and I've got 10 minutes to do that. So God willing, I'll be able to pull that off. You might have to give me an extra five minutes today if that's okay. Before we dig a little deeper, let me clarify just one other critical truth. In Matthew chapter 16 and verse 19, Matthew has, has recorded the time where Peter gets the revelation that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus says, who do men say that I am? Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're John the Baptist. Come back from the dead. Some say you're the prophet. Some say you're Jeremiah. But he says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter, it was, got the revelation and said, you are the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And he said, Peter, it's on that revelation. It's on that rock, the rock of that revelation. I will build my church. Then he goes on and he promises this in verse 19. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. 
And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. When we live under the constant authority of Jesus as our Lord, when we follow his revealed word, the Bible, and we are obedient to the promptings of his voice, and we are following his lead in our daily life, he imparts an authority to us. Keys represent authority. I give you the keys to my kingdom. When we live under his authority, he gives us the keys of his kingdom. He imparts an authority that empowers us to enforce his will on the earth as well as in our own personal lives. He gives us the keys of the kingdom, the keys to bind. In other words, to tie up and to restrict whatever is not of God. Whatever is not God-ordained, whatever is not God-purposed, whatever is not God's plan, we are given the authority. If we remain under his authority, if we are submitted to Jesus, he gives us the keys to bind and restrict the operations of the enemy in our sphere of influence, in our life, in our personal life, and to loose, to untie and release anything that is meant to be free. That's the authority, that's the power that Jesus gives us when we live under his lordship. But that doesn't mean we can go around exerting that power at will. It doesn't mean we can go around just so, oh, well, I'll bind that and I'll bind this and I'll, I'll loose that. You know, I just loose finance over my life and I bind that oppressive thing that's coming against me. I, I bind that thing that's making me feel uncomfortable. I, I loose that thing so that I feel better about myself. It doesn't give us the power to do that. The language, the original language the Bible was written in, in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 19, actually says this, whatever you bind on earth, listen to this, whatever you bind on earth must be, what has already been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth must be what has already been loosed in heaven. There's a big difference between the verse I read. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. It's almost implying that we just got the power to do what we want and God will just back it up. But the actual original language, the translators did not do a great job on this verse. That's why we've got to dig deeper into the Bible. And, and it actually says, whatever you bind on earth must be what has already been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose must be what has already been loosed in heaven. In other words, whatever we do as Christians, whatever we take authority over, whatever we oppose, whatever we resist, whatever we decide to bind in the name of our Lord, must first be born of God. And then it must be backed by God and it must be blessed by God. So you see, we're under his authority. He says, come and I come. He says, go and I go. That's why we have to be so close in our intimate relationship with him to hear his voice, to know what it is he's binding. That's when Jesus said, I do only what I see my father doing. So he could see his father loosing a situation. So Jesus would go in and loose it. He could see his father binding a situation so Jesus would go in and bind it. He was daily led by the Holy Spirit and he was hearing the voice of God. You know, many seemingly good things are done in the name of the Lord that have never been sanctioned by the Lord. And we touched on this last Sunday again. That's why Jesus said, many will come to me in that day and say, Lord, Lord, we why are you rejecting us? It's like, we, we did so many things in your name. He said, I never knew you. 
I didn't authorize those things. You just did them to make yourself look good. You just did them because you just wanted a better life. And you thought, well, I'll bind that because I don't like that. And I'll loose that because I want that. And I'll, you know, it's, it's a case of we come under the authority of the Lord. And as we're under the authority of the Lord and we're hearing his voice, we start binding and loosing things that he has ordained to be bound and loosed. And let me tell you something. When you start doing that, you'll embark upon a life that is far better than what you were hoping to get by binding and loosing the things you wanted to bind and loose. Knowing what he has authorized and enforcing those God-sanctioned purposes from a posture of complete submission, listen to me, it will turn you into a spiritual giant. It will turn you into a force to be reckoned with. It will turn you into a formidable foe to the enemy. James chapter 4 verse 7 and 8 tells us how to do that. Let's read it one more time. James chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. Can we have it back up on the screen? Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. These two verses talk about two relationships that we are to engage in. And I'm not trying to give you an English lesson here, but seven verbs are used in the instruction. Five of them are active verbs. Two of them are passive verbs. When a, here's a simple English lesson. When a, when a verb is active, the subject performs the action. You, you all know a verb, if you're not great at English, a verb is a doing word. An adjective is a describing word. You, you, you know, so a verb is, is a doing word. I will run to meet him. Run is a verb. It's the doing word. When a verb is active, the subject performs the action. When a verb is passive, the subject is the recipient of the action. In these two verses, we are the subject. So there are five doing words that we are to engage in, that we are to do, and two that we become recipients of. And the first relationship We are called to engage in, in these two verses, is heavenward, our relationship with God. In this first relationship, four active verbs and one passive are used. There are four things that we are called to do. We are commanded by the Word of God to do, by Jesus calling us. If you want to become a spiritual giant, do these four things. And I'm telling you, power will be released in your life to overcome and stay the course. That when the storm has passed, you will still be standing. If you will do these things. He calls us, these are the four things, to submit, number one. That's a verb, submit. It's something we do. It's a doing word, submit. Then he calls us to draw near to God, of course. That's a doing word, we draw near. It's an active verb on our part. Then he tells us, cleanse our hands. And then fourthly, he says, purify your heart. The first one is to submit. This is the first step, folks, to spiritual power. It's the first step towards true, authentic, spiritual power. Remember the centurion we looked at last Sunday? Uh, you know, in Matthew chapter 8, he said to Jesus, For I also am a man under authority. He comes to Jesus. He said, My servant is really unwell. Will you please do something to heal him? And Jesus says, I will come with you and heal him. And the centurion says, No, 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 I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. He said, but listen, I understand a principle here. Like you, Jesus, I too 
am a man under authority. That's really what he says. I too am a man under authority. I say to one, go, and he goes. I say to another, come, and he comes. They do what I say. And, and you see, he understood the whole concept that when you are under authority, you have authority. And if you operate within the confines of that authority in your life, which is the Word of God, submitting to Christ, following His Word faithfully, seeking the help of the Holy Spirit to be obedient to His Word, even when the whole counsel of God is not attractive, when it calls us to do things that make us uncomfortable, when it's like, I really only like reading the promises of God about blessing and increase and life and abundance and about finding a wife, because he who finds a wife finds a good thing. You know, I just want those things in my life. I don't like these other things that tell me I have to do something I really don't want to do. But we have to embrace the whole counsel of God's word. And, and when we, we embrace the whole counsel of God's word, we will be able to say, go, and it'll go. Come, and it'll come. Bind that, and it'll be bound. Loose that, and it will be loosed. I said this to you last week. No one has the authority of Jesus unless Jesus is truly their Lord. True submission is submission to the whole counsel of God, not just the bits we like. I'm going to say something. I hope this doesn't upset anybody. Please don't look for the blessing of the blessed man in Psalm 1 without first delighting in the commands and the directives and the leadership of the blesser. You know, we, we love that Psalm, Psalm 1, blessed is the man. Blessed, whatever he touches will prosper. He'll be like a fruitful vine planted by the spirit. Think, oh God, I want that. I want to be a fruitful vine. I, I, I want to touch things and have them bl be blessed and prosper. I, if I'm going into business, I want it to increase in my life. I want, I want growth. I want expansion. I want, I want, uh, you know, everything to flow in a good way. I, I want, I want prosperity and increase and what have you. You've got to read the whole psalm. And we go looking for the blessing and we go looking for the promises, but there's conditions behind someone that calls us when you delight in the commands of your captain, when you surrendered to his lordship, when you surrendered to his leadership, when you're willing to, to go when he says go and come when he says come, when you're willing to stay put when he says stay put and you're hearing his voice with greater clarity, you will not receive the blessing unless the two go together. And that's why there's so much disappointment in the house of God today. Christians are going, well, I tried the God thing, but it doesn't work. I, I came for three months, a year, whatever it was, and I never got got my spouse back. My marriage wasn't restored. My kids never came home. And it's like, you know, we've just got to stay the course, delighting in His Word and letting Him unfold the purposes of God in our life. This is where I'm frightened I might upset some people. And I'm not wanting to upset anybody. I'm just simply giving you the Word of God here. Are you sleeping with somebody who you are not married to? But at the same time, you're looking for the hand of God in your life. It disturbs me how much immorality there is in the church today. You know, the Bible says the marriage bed is undefiled. Not the de facto bed. Please don't be offended by this. 
just telling you what the Bible says. If you truly want true spiritual power and authority in your life, if you truly want to be an overcomer, it takes adjustment to our, our lifestyle. It takes adjustment to our decisions. We, we have to make the tough calls. Are you sleeping with someone you're not married to? Because it's only the marriage bed that's undefiled. And, and, and it's like, you know, but at the same time, we come into church going, God, I just want your blessing. I want your life. I want your increase. But yet, by this we know that we know him. If we keep his commandments are you engaging in shady deals or dishonest behavior but coming to church on Sunday looking for the financial blessing of heaven you hear people say God provides all of our needs according to his riches in glory and that's the truth of God's word but we can't be living a lifestyle that contradicts the leadership that we're supposed to be under and then look for the blessing of the leadership that we're not under I hope this is not too hard for some of you. You you. Are you pursuing divine blessing, divine mercy, divine grace from heaven towards you, while at the same time you refuse to forgive people who have offended you? You see, this is the whole counsel of God's word. It's like, oh, I'd rather go back to reading the promises. I don't really want to hear the... I don't like these bits. It's like, I don't want to have to do this. But, but the bottom line is... We have to align ourselves, submit to God, and the devil will flee from you. But if you're not submitted to God, I, my belief is the devil's going to have a field day in your life. And you'll get knocked from pillar to post, from, from place to place, and you'll come out battered and bruised, and you'll get angry with God, and you'll get offended with God, and you'll go, oh, this Christianity thing doesn't work. It's, it's like, but are you submitted first? So we're called to submit to God. I, you know, no one has the authority of Jesus unless Jesus is truly their Lord. We must start a fruitful life from a posture of complete surrender. The, the second thing he calls us to do, this is the second active verb that we do. Draw near. Draw near. He calls us to get to know him well. Remember Daniel 11.32, those that know their God will be strong and do great exploits. I, I wonder whether why there's so much weakness in the house of God today is because we don't really know our God. Because I, I, to me, God's word is the benchmark. It's, it's, the, it's the guiding rule. It's, it's like the Bible says, those that know their God shall be strong and do great exploits. But yet we've got people dropping like flies in the house of God, backsliding and going off. It's like, I, I think, well, maybe they don't really know their God. Because the Bible says, God's word, which, which God is no, not a man that he should lie. That if we're submitted to him, we will be strong and we know him will be strong and do great exploits. And as with any relationship, spending time together is of the essence. How is your prayer life? How is your time with the Lord? Do you open your Bible on a regular basis? Do you have a meditating plan where you, you read through it, you just wait on the Lord? And even if he doesn't speak to you, that you don't get disappointed, you go, God, I'm just positioning myself. I'm ready. I just, I'm open. And then eventually God will come and God will, because if you submit and then draw near, because the draw near comes after the submission. So you can't even draw near if you're not submitted. 
If you're doing things in your life that are completely contradicting God's word, don't even try and draw near because it's not going to happen. We've got to start from that place. When it comes to spiritual authority and power, listen to me, being close to the Father's heartbeat will enable you to hear what he has already bound and what he has already loosed. And then out of that prayer closet, that time of connection with heaven, you will go out and you will actually bind and loose effectively and fruitfully and you will begin to move forward into the purposes of God for your life. Sometimes we can find ourselves binding things that God has actually ordained. Like the trials that come our way. Oh, I bind you. I bind you. I command you to go in Jesus' name. But what about the fact James tells us in his first chapter that the trials are there sent to us to produce patience in us that God has actually allowed. And we're binding the thing God's trying to send. That's why we have to know our Bible. It's like this is a trial. The Apostle Paul He tried to deal with his thorn in the flesh and eventually God says, just deal with it. My grace is sufficient for you. Get over it, Paul. Learn to live with it. I want it to stay there. I've got a greater purpose. I know it's uncomfortable. I know you don't like it, but I want you to to bear with it. I want you to walk the journey just dealing with this thing. Learn to overcome through my strength. When you're weak, he said, God is strong. So let's, let's not just go out there binding and loosing things. Oh, I don't like that in my life. Oh, I bind that person who got the promotion over me. <laughs> but I, Christians do that. But it's not coming out of a knowledge. You know, the, Psalm 75 says promotion does not come from the east or the west. It comes from God. And if you did not get that promotion, maybe God did not want you to have it yet. Maybe it's not your time. Maybe there's things he's still trying to do in your life that you don't yet know of. And he's wanting to prepare you. Maybe there's something better than what you thought was the best. But we start binding that and loosing this. And it's like, no, we, we've just got to be close to God and know what we are to resist, what we are to bind, what we are to loose. The third and the fourth thing, and I'm going to try and wrap up with this. I'm sorry I've gone over time. Let me just try and land this. The third and the fourth things is to cleanse our hands and purify our hearts. Cleansing our hands refers to the things we do, the kinds of behavior we engage in as Christians, or I'd rather say as Christ followers. I really don't like the term Christian much. It's not even used much in the Bible. It just says in one place in Acts, you know, the believers is really what they were mainly called. But there's one point, and I can't remember where it was now, but it just says it's where the, the, the believers were first called Christians. But that Christian term has gone right off the rails. And, and you know, but the whole term of cleansing our hands refers to the things we do, the kinds of behavior we engage in, how we treat the other people in our life, our moral and our ethical conduct. Is it lined to the commander? Is it in line with the word of God? Jesus calls us to make sure that our behavior is clean. Listen to me. And it's according to his standard of clean. Not our standard of clean. Sometimes you think, oh, yeah, I'm pretty clean. According to whose standard? 
You know, we've got to use the Bible as the benchmark, as the, the target. Purifying our hearts refers to our motives. You, you know, we can appear to do the right things, but for all the wrong reasons. Now, I might step on some toes here. I'm only doing it. This is the heart motive, okay? You'd never say this, but I'm only doing it for what I'll get out of it rather than simply to be a blessing to others. You look good, you look generous, you look kind, you look embracing, but it really, deep down your motive is for what you're going to get out of it. Not simply so that I can just be a blessing to someone else. I'm only doing that to get into someone's goods book, good books because they have something I want. Yeah, I'll go out of my way. I'll go the extra mile. I'll give them my coat if they ask for my shirt. I'll, I'll give them my, my socks if they ask for my shoes. I'll, I'll just go the extra mile. I'll just, I'll just really do that. I, I'm, this this person is going to see me as really good and I'm going to look good and I'm going to appear good and everything's going to look really, really religious and Christian and nice and rosy and sparkling and so on. But it really is your motive deep down in your heart is because they've got something you want. I put something on Facebook a couple of weeks ago. Some people aren't loyal to you. They are loyal to their need of you. When their need changes, so does their loyalty. It's a pretty true statement. When, when you've got something they want, they're very loyal to you. But the moment you don't have what they want anymore, their loyalty changes. But the motive of the heart often is, I'm only doing this so that I look good. Remember what Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. This is our commander. This is the one James tells us to submit to, to surrender to, to follow. And he's giving us a clear directive here. Be careful. You are not doing good things. You are not doing generous things. You're not doing kind things so that you can be seen by others, so that people can sing your praises and say, what a wonderful Christian. What a wonderful person. Oh, man, I wish I could be as holy as they are. And it's like, but deep down, their motive is they want those accolades. They want to be seen like that. They want the appearance that they are so close to God, so, you know, closer to God than the Holy Spirit's closer to God. Be careful, he said. You don't do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. I don't want to let my left hand know what my right hand's doing. I mean, you see me play a guitar, you can pretty well work that out. My left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing. You know, the Word of God promises that if we will enlarge and engage in the active verbs of submitting, drawing near, cleansing our hands and purifying our hearts, then the passive verb will come into play. This is where we are the recipient of an action. What is that action? It's God drawing near to you. There's so much in two verses, isn't there? And it's like, oh, I'll just read a chapter a day and then I'm a good Christian. And we just read the whole chapter and we get absolutely nothing out of it. Sometimes you just get one verse and that verse, you can stay in that for a month. 
And there's so much gold in there. If we just dig a little bit, you, you know, James is saying, if you will engage in these four active verbs, you know, submit to God, draw, uh, draw near to God, cleanse your hands, purify your heart, change your behavior and address your motives, you know, and then the, the passive verb kicks in. God will then draw near to you. And when he draws near to you, heaven comes. And with his presence comes what? Joy and freedom. In his presence is fullness of joy, the Bible says. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There's, there's freedom. The second relationship, and I'm, I really am going to land this, I promise. The second relationship we're called to engage in is outward, dealing with the enemy. But don't try and do the outward relationship until you've done the upward relationship with God, the submitting, the, the drawing near, the cleansing and the purifying of ourselves. Here we have only one active verb. And that verb is resist. When we've done all the other things upward, we then turn and we start moving out resisting. Somebody said once that you should not go out further than you've gone up. I, I think that's wisdom. If your relationship with God is only here, don't go out here. If your relationship's here, don't go out here. If your relationship's there, just go out about there. If it goes up, go a little further. You know, let it be in proportion to your relationship with God. And the active verb is resist. Block the enemy. Push him back. If we take steps to resist the enemy from a posture of unreserved submission to Jesus and his word, if we, if we take steps to resist him from that intimate relationship with God, godly cleanliness and purity, then the passive verb kicks in. He will Flee from you. I'm not trying to sell CDs here. But I, I'd urge you to get the CD of this and listen to it over and over. Because I've said so much stuff here this morning. That if you would just get this, it's a simple process. Get it into your heart. Get over. He will flee from you. And I want to encourage you. The band can come back. Thanks, Joel. Uh, you can have the chair too, Levi. Oh, yeah, Levi, just, I've moved it. I'm sorry. I've, yeah. Oh, you've got it. Yeah, good on you, Melissa. I want to encourage you to embrace the fast from a posture of submitting to God, drawing near to God, cleansing our hands, which to do with our behavior what behaviours are you engaging in that are, that are unbiblical, that are ungodly? Don't block revival in your life. Deal with those things with the help of the Holy Spirit. We've all got bad behaviour, every single one of us. But let's draw closer to God and ask Him, help me cleanse my hands. Help me to deal with my behaviour. And, and in the fast, start to purify your heart. Pray the prayer of David in Psalm 139. God, search my heart, know me, try me. See if there is any wicked way in me. And God, lead me in your path. Lead me in the everlasting way, the way of righteousness. And I believe we'll come out of this 10-day fast so much more powerful than when we went in. I want to encourage you. Don't just fast TV. Don't just fast Facebook. You know, deny your body something. 
I'd encourage you, if you're not accustomed to fasting, I'd encourage you, embrace the Daniel fast, but try and do the Daniel fast strict. I remember the first Daniel fast I did, it was in a church. We did a 10-day Daniel fast, fruit and vegetables. And I was able to justify that fish, no, not fish, chips from the fish and chip shop were okay. Bad, bad move. Because it's such a comfort food. And you can fill yourself up on so many chips and you can feel, I've had enough and I'm okay. You know, fasting is about disciplined focus upon God. I really would encourage you to get on board. I don't want to say too much about this because I've just talked about don't do your charitable deeds to be seen by men. And I'm not telling you this for this purpose, but I want you to know I've already started. And the reason I've started is because I I feel there's a grace on me right now to do this fast and to lead the way. Now, I'm doing a pretty strict fast right now and I'm well into it. And I'm sort of like going to keep going with you. And I'm going to be praying for you that you will connect with God, that you will hear the voice of God, that you'll hear the voice of God for your family, for your marriage, for your finances, for your calling, for your God shape, for what God has called you to do and where He's called you to function. And that as a church corporately, we will flourish so that we can be a light and a blessing to the broken community that we are in. And you know, Hope Cafe launched back on on, uh, Thursday night. It wasn't as big a crowd as we normally get, but it was the first day back. I just am believing for a revival in Hope Cafe. You know, our team down there, they sit with them, they talk with them, they share with them, they pray with them. And it's like God is doing something significant amongst them, all broken in our community. But I'm also believing for some of you that are in professional positions, there's just as much brokenness behind a suit than there is in a homeless person. You know, let's touch God and hear God corporately so that when we come in here on a Sunday, life flows like we have never experienced. Amen. God bless you.